Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Hello, and welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and has ever wondered about them. I'm Julie Sternberg, author of a number of children's books, including Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie and its sequels, and the Top Secret Diary of Celie Valentine series. And I'm Eve Hallam. I'm also a children's book author. My books include The Truth According to Blue and Cast Off, The Strange Adventures of Petra de Winter and Brom Broen. In each episode of this podcast, we consider a book-related question. And in this episode, we consider why do some books inspire spin-off universes composed of and created by intensely devoted fans? And what is it like to be part of one of those fandoms. So fortunately, we knew the perfect guest for this episode, our very own associate producer, Gianfranco Lentini. This may sound a little strange. I feel like we owe our listeners an apology. And that's because Gianfranco is so lovely and talented and terrific in every possible way. And we have kept him from listeners. Yeah, inexcusable. Basically, if our listeners know about this podcast, it's probably because of Gianfranco. Good point. He, it does, he, he does all of our social media. We would do none of it without him. Yes. He's way braver than we are. Yes. And to the extent that we come across as remotely organized, it's because of Gianfranco. A hundred percent. And if you want to hear from Gianfranco after this episode, you can sign up for our newsletter because he writes it. You can go to our website and sign up. Please do. Okay. A little more about Gianfranco, who actually does quite a lot beyond his role as associate producer for Book Dreams. Yes. So He's much. An- yeah. He's a New York-based playwright whose work has been developed and produced by Torrent Theatre, under St. Mark's Theatre, A Night of Play, and Canada's largest short play festival. He has also worked as an associate director on many developmental shows. He writes for a number of outlets, including Backstage, Time Out New York, Grinder, Theatre Mania, and perhaps most importantly for our episode today, he reports for the Leaky Cauldron, which is one of the oldest online news sources for all things Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and Cursed Child. And not only that, Gianfranco has been amazingly productive during COVID. I wish I could say the same. His Zoom short play, You Tell Me, was produced and developed by Theatrical Response Team, and the short film version is about to hit production. It's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Of course, I knew that Gianfranco loves Harry Potter. I think anyone who knows Gianfranco knows that, but I didn't know the full story of why. And I loved learning that in this episode. Yes. And, you know, I've been aware of the Harry Potter fandom. I think it's impossible not to be aware of the Harry Potter fandom, but I didn't fully understand the fandom in general. I really appreciate having his perspective on that. I think this episode took us into unexpectedly deep places, and I'm really grateful to Gianfranco for taking us there. Yes. I really appreciated the opportunity, too, to talk to him about this recent controversy that's arisen involving J.K. Rowling, or Joe, as he calls her, comments that she made over the summer that were transphobic, and how those comments are affecting the fandom. So we'll get to that later in the episode. Anyway, now, enough with the preliminaries. Here is our interview with Gianfranco Lentini. 
Welcome, Gianfranco, to Book Dreams. Hello. <laughs> We're so How delighted we... to have you here. <laughs> How did we wait this long to I do this? 20-something episodes, and I'm on the other side of the mic now. It feels <laughs> very weird, but I'm excited to see where this goes. Let's do this. Tell us about young Gianfranco and Harry Potter. When did you first read the books and how did they affect you? My entrance to the Potterverse is actually, I think, similar to a lot of people where I entered with not the happiest of stories. So my dad passed when I was seven. And I think my mom started to realize there's a piece missing here. So what is a piece that we can put back into his life? And everyone on her unit at the hospital had been reading this thing called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So she brought a copy home one day and it was just, it was literally magic. As I'm getting older, I'm starting to understand more and more that I was reading about an orphan who wanted to do great things. And in many ways, I almost felt like an orphan. I'd lost half of the parental unit and then the other half to no fault of her own, had to work a lot. So she would go off to work and I was either uh, (laughs) joyfully let alone into the library or we then eventually had to move in with my grandfather. And it between losing my dad and going to live with my grandfather and spending so much time by myself at the library, I just was always in motion as a child. And it was very comforting and cathartic to read the adventures of an 11-year-old who was also always in motion and discovering something new for the first time and having to meet people that he didn't want to or having to live with people that he wasn't so sure about or learning to love complete strangers in his life. There was a lot there that I, I think I was relating to. It sounds to me like book one had come out around the time your father died and so is it accurate to say that you grew up with Harry in parallel? A thousand percent. I would always say, as, as, a, as a kid and as a teenager growing up, if Harry could do it, I can do it too. If Harry could defeat Voldemort, I can go audition for the school musical. <laughs> Little things like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. It was a touchstone for me. It still very much is with a lot of the work and the writing that I do. And I feel incredibly lucky that... I grew up at the point I did to have something like that to just get me through. Can I ask about friendships? Did you have a Ron and Hermione in your life or did you look for that? So particularly growing up in suburban Pennsylvania, not knowing that I was gay or queer and having to go to Catholic school through eighth grade I had one friend. She very much took the position of both Hermione and Ron. I think in some ways I also connected to Harry in that point where he was very ostracized by the Dursleys and by the kids at school because Dudley was his bully and nobody wanted to challenge that. And especially coming up through eighth grade, I had kids who constantly tried to bully because they somehow were able to pick out that now the silver lining of me being a gay man before I, I even knew what the word was. The multiple connections there are really extraordinary. And I wonder too, you're a first gen kid. And you know, just as Harry grows up in this muggle family and then enters this other world, 
I'm just wondering about the bridging of two cultures thing too, if that was another connection point for you. That is such a wonderful question. Yeah, so I am first-generation Italian-American. My mother's side came from Naples. My dad's side came from Sicily. So in many ways, I feel like I grew up in a household that did not match the rest of Pennsylvania that I grew up in. And going to school, and especially having the name that I do, I was kind of the outlier. I am white, but I was looked at as a different white or the ethnic white And I always thought I was, you know, just the same like everybody else in class, just like Harry thinks he's the same as every other muggle who passes by him on the street. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate just how deep my ancestry is and how that makes me different and why that makes me different. Yeah. Gianfranco, how did you go from reading the Harry Potter books to becoming part of the fan culture? I mean, I've read the Harry Potter series many times, but I gather that does not make me part of the fandom. So what steps am I not taking and what am I missing out on? There's so much you can do. You just have to start with a passion and say, all right, I want to go to this meetup. I want to go to that premiere. I want to read some unofficial literature or fan fiction, as you will, just to get more immersed in that culture. And there are chat rooms out the wazoo on the internet for people like that and comic-con yes i cannot forget comic-con my first comic-con was last october so i was 26 stepping off of the subway looking around seeing all of these other witches and wizards stepping off of the subway with me and for (laughs) might get a little emotional for (laughs) a moment it felt like we were all stepping off the hogwarts express to just go celebrate for an entire weekend what made us family. And this was family that I never knew I had, especially coming out of the mouth of someone who grew up feeling like he had very limited family. That's huge. Can you tell us about the Leaky Cauldron, speaking of Harry Potter and writing? How did you get that gig? What is it and what's it like? The Leaky Cauldron is the oldest online news source for Harry Potter news, only rivaled by MuggleNet, uh, but we we get along very well. Uh, so Leaky Cauldron. <laughs> Sorry, that was the least convincing we get along very well I've ever heard. <laughs> I need to know more about that, but go ahead. It's hard when you are trying to be the number one news outlet for a fandom, and mm-hmm. there are two of you. so you're very much reporting on the same news and at some point you're like okay well can we get an exclusive interview with so-and-so from this movie and then you do it but then two minutes later they're giving that same exclusive interview to MuggleNet and you go okay right (laughs) we need to talk about the word exclusive (laughs) yeah like that's that's not exclusive so flashback about a year and a half ago I'm sitting in the middle of jury duty wondering what am I going to do Writing is hard, living in New York is hard, blah, 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 blah. And I see a posting saying, we are looking for more writers. We're looking for news reporters, anybody who feels like they have that bone in their body. And I sent through an email saying, here's my playwright resume. I would love to do more news reporting. If you're not convinced, here's a picture of me dressed up as Newt Scamander and as Cedric Diggory. I hope that qualifies me. Since being part of the Leaky Cauldron, I have had my share of exclusive interviews, whether it was with the off-Broadway cast of Puffs 
or letting people know that the Wizarding World was merging with Warner Brothers. I'm giving you insider baseball. (laughs) It just hears that Leaky, again, was a huge door that opened for me to say, this is how I can continue to legitimize what many people would say is a hobby. And I say is a passion, a calling. It's to report on a story that gave me purpose as a child. And I want to continue to give other children and people my age that renewed sense of purpose, that this story doesn't have to die even though the books are done. The franchise continues to grow. We now see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to be the sole Potter reporter for any outlet, talking to the actors behind the scenes and talking to the fans as they wait for the doors to open. And it was my first time on camera as a quote-unquote news reporter, but it just... I was at home. The camera turned on. I had the mic in my hand and I was talking to people who talked like I did. And then I got to go out to San Francisco for the opening of Chris Child there and getting to talk to Sonia Friedman, the lead producer on the show, and hear her say, I trust Leaky Cauldron. Thank you for being here. Well done. That, my best friend was with me behind the camera and I turn around and they're just, I have tears. <laughs> And she's like, this is great. We're going we're gonna to cry later, but we're still on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you went to this conference, these were red carpet interviews. Can we link to at least one of the video clips in our show notes? Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. I love those clips. I loved what I was wearing that day. So absolutely. <laughs> All the book dreamers can see. Your hair was good. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> You've mentioned fan fiction a couple of times in this conversation, and um, there's a note in your voice, and there's more to this story, pun not intended. Can we talk about fan fiction and the role it plays in the fandom? Fan fiction is an even deeper subculture. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I say this with a huge smile on my face. Fan fiction is for those who cannot get enough of the original source, Thus, they need to create their own. And the results can be beautiful, beautiful. I have seen spinoff Potter books where they go to Egypt and they battle Voldemort in the Great Pyramids. And it all is just incredible. And I go, why didn't Joe write that? And then there are fan fictions, like my very first one, called My Immortal. And... It was about a character named Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way. And she's a a vampire. This is also at the height of the Twilight craze. Yep. I went into a, a fan fiction deep dive probably around that time. I never wrote it. It was fascinating to read it. And for people who haven't looked at it, Many of the stories are novel length. The really great ones get hundreds of thousands of comments on them. And some of them turn into books. I mean, most famously, Fifty Shades of Grey started out as Twilight fan fiction. Yes. Right? It's such a world. And there is a ton of sex. A lot. Everyone gets paired with everyone. On that topic of sex, I found that fan fiction around a time where, you know, as a teenager, you start to have an inkling like there's something else that my body does. And the point that I'm driving to here is that in a household that was very Italian Catholic and a little sheltered, for lack of a better word, I also was 
finding bits and pieces of an education through fan fiction. So whenever Draco is running off to the forest and doing this thing that I'm not familiar with as a teenager at that, that early age, I still was being exposed to an element that was relevant. What's occurring to me is I remember a lot of the sex in fan fiction is queer and there are no queer romances in the Harry Potter universe. And so people write them and now they exist and people can read them and see them and see themselves in them. The gaps that get filled in by the fans can be really important. Super important to those like myself and the majority of a fandom who have yet to figure out who they are, have yet to embrace or accept who they are. And for those who quite frankly get bullied and beaten and just marked for being who they are. So I had fan fiction and I had the real books to help me figure out who I was. Of course, Harry Potter means so much to so many people, but I think it's particularly meaningful to people who feel like outsiders because Harry is such an outsider. And that's one reason this recent controversy with J.K. Rowling has been so painful. Yeah. Let me try to explain what happened real quick. In June of this year, J.K. Rowling responded to a headline that used the phrase people who menstruate, which is language that includes not only women, but also people like transgender men and non-binary and gender non-conforming people. J.K. Rowling responded with something that was a little snide, a tweet that said basically, people who menstruate, I'm sure there could be another word for those people suggesting her view, which is that only women should fall into the category of people who menstruate. So there was a lot of fallout on Twitter, and in response to this negative feedback, she published a nearly 4,000-word blog where she just really dug into this position. She didn't double down, she quadrupled down. (laughs) Yeah, she quadrupled down. Yeah. And it was explosive, not just in the Harry Potter fandom. This was explosive for a lot of reasons. It is astonishing to me that she took such a really negative and harmful stand against exactly the kind of folks who have so benefited from reading her books. I just couldn't believe it. I agree. And the other thing I can't get my head around is how does a person who's written thousands and thousands of pages about outsiders, about people who use destructive language to refer to other people, all of the themes that are so anti-hate in Harry Potter, and then she does what the Death Eaters do, you know, I mean, it's just, (laughs) it was was mystifying. I don't get it. Yeah. I just don't get it. So we talked about this with Gianfranco, and here's what he has to say about how he feels about her transphobic stance and how some other members of the fandom have responded. It's heartbreaking. It's it's absolutely heartbreaking. I grew up feeling like I had two mothers, my actual mother, who... 99% of the time I don't see eye to eye with. So that was that was difficult. And so I did put a lot of trust and faith into Joe, who I then identified as my second mother. Because while my real mom is away at work, I spend time with 
the other woman in my life who's given me all these books and teaching me who I am and that I'm okay as who I am. And then within the last almost year, watching this second mother start to make comments against the transgender community is the words I have are just shameful and vile. We're very confused, especially those of us at the Leaky Cauldron and MuggleNet. We actually had a conversation with Glad and Trevor Project, and we said, listen, everything we do here is based in what has been birthed from Joe. What do we do? And it was a wonderful conversation where they said, well, is the community yours or is it not? And we really realized this is our universe. We know that it had a creator at some point, but Joe didn't open up the doors to Comic-Con. Joe didn't start the first fan fiction. Joe didn't tell me when I was a senior in high school to go publish a book on people's love letters to Harry. We as a community are allowed to make this content ours. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here today and say, I'm canceling Potter because Potter is, a again, a family and a way of life. Joe can sit in Scotland and figure out for herself what feels right to her. She's entitled to figure out what feels right to her. The rest of us don't have to sit here and accept it. Yeah. This connects, obviously, with controversies where a male author, for example, will be accused of sexual harassment. And the question becomes, does the work stand on its own or not? And the complexity is if you already own the book and you've read the book and you love the book and you've entered this world and you're a fan, that's one thing. And great that the fans have such agency then. The problem, of course, is can you, do you keep buying the books? Because the money goes to these people. You know, I remember Mrs. Field, the owners of Mrs. Field's Cookies had views that differed from my own. So I didn't want to put any money in their pocket and stop buying Mrs. Field. To be clear, that was a big sacrifice for Julie. It was. I love cookies. <laughs> I just want to clarify. <laughs> Some people are thinking, well, that's just a cookie, but no, it's. it's you know. <laughs> See, Julie, you bring up a really good point. It is a sticky situation because whether it's Joe or Woody Allen or Harvey Weinstein, how do we learn to separate the artist from the art? And in what way can we? create that separation without putting money in their pocket. And I think that is a case-by-case conversation with the artist and the art and the consumer themselves. They have to really look at themselves in the mirror and go, what's important to me? Do I need to have this next copy of Potter on my shelf? Mm -hmm. Has there been a faction of the fandom that has left because of this? I think Potter's saving grace through all of this is the fact that all of the actors who have become very synonymous with these characters we love have taken to social media to say, we denounce this. That is a very powerful thing to have and we're incredibly grateful for it. And Warner Brothers also saying, we don't support that while they're in production for Fantastic Beasts is a powerful and scary thing. Because then you wonder, okay, what happens to this current franchise? Does it continue? Does Joe continue to work with a corporation that has made her her billions? if they don't agree with what she solely believes in. But there are 
a lot of hurt people, a lot of hurt people. And I know there are people who started throwing out their books. There is a trans actress who did some B-roll footage that you can see in the theme parks. And she took to Twitter to say, here's my contract. And she tore it up and she said, I need you to remove all of the footage that I shot because this is despicable. I will not let my image be seen as a transgender woman in your parks if these are the words of the creator. Yeah, it's, it's complicated and painful. Really, really painful. I'm trying to think of a question that I can ask you so that we can end on a more positive note. Okay, I'll ask this. Go for it. How many 50-year-old straight white women do you run across in Potterdom? And do they seem happy? I'm asking for a friend. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to surprise you, but there are a lot. There are oh. a lot. Especially when I was doing my camera work for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, the demographic was widespread. There were seven-year-olds who couldn't properly wear a witch hat because it was too big for them. And oh. there were... Uh, <laughs> 82-year-olds dressed as McGonagall because... Because they could. <laughs> yeah, because they could, but also 20 years ago, the way for them to connect with their grandchildren was to read this exciting story that just started hitting the shelves. There's a universe of people who tapped into the book by themselves. There's a universe of people who tapped into the book because it was handed to them, just like me. And then there's a universe of people who gave the book to somebody and joined in on the experience. And they would read stories to each other every night. In the book that I helped edit, we subtitle it Letters of Love, Loss, and Magic because so many of the letters we got were, hi, I'm 16. And my dad, who I loved very much, we would read Sorcerer's Stone together every day. And then one day he passed away and he was no longer there. So I had to finish the book without him, but I finished it for us. And coming through that experience was magic of its own. This is something that I hope never goes away. I think I can say without a doubt that I will be that nerdy father <laughs> who is dragging his kids to Comic-Con because they're going to <laughs> like it. They're going to like it until they don't. And... I'm excited to pass Sorcerer's Stone along to my kid one day, just like it was given to me. I was so glad to hear that John Franco doesn't feel like what has gone on with J.K. Rowling has somehow negated any of the good things that these books have done for him in his life. And also, I have to be honest, I felt like it gave me permission to hold on to the positive things that it has done in, in my life. Harry Potter, those books were a big deal in our family. My kids were, um, they were kids while the books were coming out. And I can remember taking them to the midnight release parties at the bookstore in their pajamas because it was the first time that they had been allowed to stay Aww. up until midnight. <laughs> That's so cute. And we read yeah. them all out loud multiple times. How about you? Was that true for you? Yes. My girls have both read the series multiple times, as of course have I. I mean, yeah. And then there's always that depression when you finish the last one for all of us. Yes. It's like, what are we going to read next? <laughs> that could, I think I might have to start again on book one. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think the fact that we can talk about these forever is a sign of why these fandom exists. We're not even in the fandom and look how excited we get. And it was such a treat to learn about even more intense fans. So we again thank Gianfranco for joining us. I think that's it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Be sure to let us know if there's a book-related topic you've wondered about, and we'll try looking into it in a future episode. You can reach us for that reason or any other at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at bookdreamspod and on Instagram at bookdreamspodcast. You can find Gianfranco both on Instagram and on Twitter at heygianfranco. Many thanks to Gianfranco for being our associate producer and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveyohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love and listen to book dreams with Julie and me.